0: Welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. I'm Betty Westbrook, a certified lymphedema therapist and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide answers and explanations for people affected by the lymphatic disease, lymphedema. This podcast is for patients, family members, medical professionals, and anyone interested in lymphedema. Each month, I will discuss a new topic related to this disease to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. Between shows, you can catch me on IGTV or Instagram TV, as well as monthly live Q&A sessions. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast just for you. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Disclaimer. As a certified lymphedema therapist, all information provided is based on my professional experiences and education. I recommend that anyone who feels they have lymphedema or have been medically diagnosed with lymphedema seek in-person medical treatment from a certified lymphedema therapist. Hello and welcome back to episode 58 of Lymphedema Podcast, part three with Dr. Chen. Today we're going to get into the meat of this topic of cure of lymphedema with lymphatic reconstruction, specifically Dr. Chen's technique of vascularized lymph vessel transfer. I can't wait for you to hear all of the details, and as you'll hear in the interview, Dr. Chen has a commentary article coming out soon that will elaborate on everything we've talked about here. So I want to talk about, we've mentioned it a little bit already, that you have found cure. Um, you have seen cure of lymphedema with um, these surgeries. And before recording earlier, we kind of talked about the history and the back study, but um, limp, uh, vascular, vascularized lymph vessel transplant, am I saying it right? Is it transplant or transfer?
1: So, you can use two terms interchangeably. Recently, there have been uh, uh, kind of a discussion about the term. Well, uh, for me, both terms are fine transfer, transplant. Some people feel strongly that it really should be called transplant, but they're referring to the same procedure lymph node transfer or lymph vessel transfer or transplant.
0: Okay. Um, so, that is a technique that you are perfecting, I think, a little bit, or you are really um, finding success in it. Can you explain that procedure? And then I want to compare, you know, lymph vessel versus lymph node transfer. Um, So that would be a, you know, follow up to this question.
1: Yes. Uh, So again, what I'm saying uh, now represents my own opinion. There are certainly other respected colleagues Uh, in the field who are highly experienced who would hold different viewpoints. And as of today, there are no consensus on uh, what is the best treatment for lymphedema. Uh, What's good is that we're seeing many favorable outcomes uh, with many different approaches. And uh, you mentioned about cookie cutter approach. I can tell you at one time, I had one procedure and that was lymph node transplant So there were no treatment planning because we only had one procedure. So everybody who walked through the door, if you want lymphedema surgery, it's lymph node transplant. And also at the time, I only performed one type of lymph node transplant and that was the growing lymph node transplant. So I was fortunate to to learn this procedure from my mentor, uh, Professor Mingwei Chang, during my microsurgery fellowship uh, training in Taiwan and Gong Memorial Hospital that uh, is an institution well known for its expertise in microsurgery as well as lymphedema reconstruction. But at the time, even at Gong, the only procedure we performed was a uh, growing lymph node transplant. At the time, Professor Mingwei Cheng has started uh, exploring the submental lymph node transplant, which is taking lymph node from under the chin and transfer it to the affected limb. So uh, that was how we started, how I started. I started out performing only lymph node transplant and based on the early literature from Chenggong and from other uh, 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 giants in the field uh, from Chenggong Memorial Hospitals, the the experience was highly favorable. And actually there was never any report of donor site lymphedema. And um, So uh, during my training, uh, it actually, lymphedema didn't strike us as a particularly difficult problem because we thought uh, we had this procedure that almost always worked And we haven't seen any major complication coming out from this procedure. And it wasn't until when I came back to US, I uh, started practicing in Iowa. I started offering this lymph node transplant to my patient. The procedure worked well as it did in my training, Um, but I started to realize other problems related to lymph node transplant. Uh, for one thing that people don't usually mention is the appearance, the so-called Rolex effect. So you transfer a, a flap, a piece of tissue, a chunk of tissue, you place it at the wrist. It looks like you're wearing a Rolex, mm-hmm. and it's it's quite unsightly. Right after surgery, when the patient experienced relief of lymphedema symptoms, you can convince them to not look at it and just enjoy how much more comfortable your arm is right now. But one year later, two years later, they can't overlook it. I've had patients who asked me to take it off. And that was when I really realized we need to make this procedure better. This procedure, uh, I mean, even if everything else is perfect, when everything else isn't perfect, but even when everything else is perfect, just Being creating this ugly result, it's not good enough. So other option would be placing the lymph node in the armpit, which most many surgeons do perform that approach. I try that also, but in my experience and my observation, when the lymph nodes are placed in the armpit or the so-called proximal transfer versus the distal, the wrist transfer, the proximal transfer didn't work as well. It would work, but it wouldn't work as well. It does look better because you're, this is a more concealed location, but patient would constantly feeling a ball in their armpit. So again, it's, it was not ideal. And um, this was when, when uh, I started offering LVA and I realized LVA is also a highly effective procedure And we can treat the majority of the patient with fluid predominant form of lymphedema with LVA. But um, there is no question about it. When it comes to this particular point, I do agree with with other surgeons that the effectiveness of LVA is significantly dependent on the quality of the lymphatics. That means you will have those patients with severely damaged lymphatics And in these patients, the LVA wouldn't work as well. It would still work, but it would work less. So what can we do to to offer them more improvement? It would be with a transfer procedure. But I just said, we are realizing issues with the lymph node transplant, and... Uh, And in 2013, there were several papers uh, coming out from Spain and from France about donor site lymphedema, meaning after harvesting the lymph nodes, the patient developed lymphedema at the donor site. And I, I think that is a catastrophic complication. It's an unacceptable complication because... Most of the time we don't cure patient and many surgeons are still telling you that we that lymphedema is incurable. So not only that we haven't cured our patient, we've created more lymphedema in the patient's body. So that 2013 was, uh, so I've already started experimenting with other technique, but that was a, a, a strong wake up call that uh, we need to be very, very careful that we can do more harms. And, but i uh, will well, skip the process. There are lots of indirect and direct observations that tells us to, at least for me, uh, prompted me to question what exactly is the therapeutic component of, of the lymph node flap? What in this flap is the actual therapeutic component And we are seeing lots of direct and indirect evidence that prompted us to question, is it really the lymphedema?
0: Hey, Lymphedema Podcast, this is Elise Cantu announcing the Virtual Oncology Physical Therapy Summit. You don't want to miss this amazing virtual summit taking place on April 17th, 2021. We're going to be having amazing speakers like Scott Capoza, Lisa Van Hoos, and our own Betty Westbrook to talk about topics like lymphedema and cancer survivorship and so much more. You don't want to miss out.
1: Um, Well, that's our direction of research. Uh, There are surgeons who look another direction to try to experiment from harvesting lymph nodes, a safer part of the body to harvest lymph nodes and therefore you have the cemental lymph node transplant, you have the lateral thoracic lymph node, you have the omental lymph node, you have so on and so forth, venal mesenteric lymph node. Essentially, all of these attempts are trying to find an area that's safe for us to take lymph nodes. But our approach is why not just leave the lymph nodes behind when we know that For at least for acquired lymphedema, many of the patients develop lymphedema as a result of us messing with their lymph nodes. How about let's just leave the lymph nodes alone? So that's that was the original concept.
0: And so instead of affecting or instead of interfering with the lymph node, you found the vessel to be. I guess the carrier, that's the the component that needed the, the connection to kind of get the fluid from the affected area to the lymph node for filtration? Is that is that the concept?
1: So it, it is humbling. I mean, when it comes to when we talk about lymph vessel transplant, we have to recognize Professor Zoukashima. Um, So as we were scratching our heads, he came out with his study already. Um, of the first lymph vessel transplant. And Dr. Koshima went a different direction in terms of harvesting lymph vessels. So he published, I believe this was 2015 or 14, 2000, around that time, harvesting lymph vessel from the foot. So these are the lymph vessels that drain big toe. Mm-hmm. And Uh, Since as plastic surgeon, there is a procedure in which we transfer big toe to the patient's hand if they lost their thumb, so-called toe-to-thumb transfer. So uh, that part of the anatomy is well known to us reconstructed plastic surgeon. And Dr. Koshima uh, very creatively harvested the lymph vessels, draining the big toe, and transfer the lymph vessel to the affected arm or leg to treat lymphedema. <clears throat> and Dr. Koshima's study, uh, which reported success with lymph vessel transfer, really encouraged us. And in fact, conceptually, we expect our lymph vessel transfer to work even better because. Dr. Koshima's technique transfer anywhere from our own study, two to four lymph channels. Our transfer of the growing lymph vessels and from the side of the chest would transfer so much more lymph vessels. There's so many of them. When we look at them under the ICG lymphography, we can't even count them. They're they're just numerous network of lymph vessels. So of course, more isn't necessarily better, But more is probably better. So um, then we confirmed in our study that it was indeed better. In fact, it worked so well that we didn't observe a difference between how lymph vessel transplant, how patients respond to lymph vessel transplant and lymph node transplant. We didn't observe a difference, they work just as well. Lymphedema Podcast is supported by Bryland's Feet Foundation, Juzo, and Medi USA. Learn more about each sponsor on our website, lymphedemapodcast.com, and listen to their episodes while you're there.
0: Without the side effect of donor site lymphedema, correct? Um,
1: well, I, I, I shouldn't say that without the side effect. We are still robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're still damaging the lymphatic system, but by staying superficial, by going super microsurgical, by leaving the lymph nodes behind, we are arguably damaging less. Okay. And it's, in general, conceptually a good thing to cause less damage. That's great. But we are still causing damage. Uh, wherever we cut, we cause damage. But if we can leave the lymph nodes behind, it would be conceptually better. So. This is still conceptual, uh, right? Well, I should say the concept is still controversial, even though in practice, um, lymph vessel transplant has, in my practice, already replaced lymph node transplant. Um, but this point of view is certainly not shared by all of the surgeons. So um, at this point, we're not ready to say stop doing certain procedure and just do this. Uh, There's rigorous, ongoing research, and we definitely will have much more conclusive data in the near future.
0: That's great. I do want to ask the question, because we have talked about it, um, the kind of, you've mentioned it, um, that there is a cure for lymphedema through the surgical intervention, um, there are obviously more studies and more research to come. Um, I like that you said in the opening statement that if 10 years from now we're doing the same thing, we're doing it wrong um, because we always need to be innovating and kind of perfecting our technique and our skill. Um, but the mention of a cure for lymphedema is exciting. And can you shed some light on what that looks like for our community, for the lymphedema world?
1: Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, the discovery of lymphedema cure is a new, uh, our initial discovery of lymphedema cure was eight years ago. And we're holding back on this because we don't want to overpromise, And also we want to be cautious. We want to make sure that that was indeed a cure. So I think many people will question, what do you mean by a cure? So the, the definition of cure for us is very simple when a patient no longer demonstrate symptoms, signs and symptoms of lymphedema and no longer require any treatment for lymphedema. I don't know what else to call it. So when you look at this person, you can't tell that this person had lymphedema and this person no longer require any form of treatment, MLD compression, nothing. So to us, that is a cure of cure. Uh, what I had just described, uh, patients showing no symptoms, no signs of lymphedema, and no longer requiring any form of treatment. That is what we define as a clinical cure. Clinical cure means that uh, we can still detect evidence of disease on ICG lymphography. And then there is a second level or a higher level of cure. And that is the lymphographic cure. And that would be clinical cure plus no evidence of disease on ICG lymphography. And that is a higher level of cure. So patient had completely reversed their pathology uh, to the point that as of today, um, based on our current technology that we could not detect any trace of disease. So uh, we have observed both types of cure in our practice. And the fact is we are achieving cure in only a small percentage of our patients. So for patients who choose to undergo surgery, uh, we share these outcome. I mean, just starting this year, we are sharing this Uh, data with our patient because we felt that as surgeon scientists, we should be honest with our results and we should openly share our observation with our patient. And by now it's been eight years. We are consistently observing cure in a small percentage of our patient. So we felt that it is time to share this result with our patients and our colleagues. And for us, it's not a question of whether lymphedema is curable. It is. The question is, why are we not achieving cure in more patients? How can we extend cure to more patients? And I think as long as we don't acknowledge the fact that lymphedema is curable, we won't be actively looking to um, find out the answer why we are not curing everybody.
0: I like what you just said about basically if you're not saying that it's curable, no one's going to look for an answer that they think they cannot find. So I think even just like you said, just putting that as an option out there, it's going to open up a whole new level of thinking and consideration just to even explore the opportunity because right now people are just thinking the best thing I can do is manage it let's focus on the best form of management but if you put it out there that there's a cure then that opens up a whole new training train of thought
1: yes we understand how this claim uh will uh, uh be fairly shocking for for many and uh uh, but as we started to, to uh, discuss this finding with our colleagues from around the world and uh, realized that we're not the only one achieving cure, actually multiple other surgeons around the world have. So uh, as I said, I, I think at this point, it's time to, to start to look into why, what's so special, what are the key, what are the prognostic factors what are the types of patients uh, that we can cure? And how, I mean, any technical modification, refinement, or improvement that we can do to increase the chance of, of cure. That's what our group is actively looking into right now.
0: You mentioned that there are paci- there are doctors in other countries finding cure. Um, where are those locations or who are those doctors?
1: So uh, Dr. Takumi Yamamoto uh, and I are coming out with a commentary paper right now. It's also in the review phase Uh, because we foresee that our um, formal study on lymphedema cure will take a lot longer to come out usually. Uh, The journal review process is time consuming and, and now in the midst of COVID, it's not uncommon to to see a six or seven month review process. Um, so, uh, Dr. Yamamoto and I uh, wrote a commentary paper, basically stating what I just said: that lymphedema is not incurable. We need to stop covering our eyes, stop denying that fact, and start asking why are we not curing more. So that's basically what the commentary is about. And uh, well, hopefully it comes out soon. We also reported in that commentary some basic observation among this population of patients who were cured. And actually some of our patients who were cured are quite vocal on social media. So uh, if you frequent these patient support groups, you probably would come across your post talking about your own experience.
0: That is actually one of the ways um, I came about this topic in this episode idea with you. Um, I've seen your presentation um, and I briefly met you, like I said, at the NLN in Boston. Um, But when I saw a patient say, I went to Cleveland Clinic and I'm cured of lymphedema and Dr. Chen was my doctor, I thought, I need to feel, I need to talk to Dr. Chen right away. Um, So yeah, that's exactly one way that I found out about it. And I know that that group reaches many people. And then of course, word of mouth, um, patient to therapist and so forth. So um, I think from here, I mean, this is only going to get more people's attention. And I I can't thank you enough for the work you're doing. I know that um, you're very proud of it and you, you are passionate about it. Um, So I think that is just, that's just great. And our, our lymphedema community is fortunate to have you in it and all of the, you know, mentors that have gotten you to this point. Um, Where would we be without our mentors? You know, the people who kind of guided us in this direction. So um, we're very thankful for all of that. Um, Dr. Chen, you have been I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite guest on the podcast so far. Um, This topic, this content, it's exciting. Um, My little boy woke up from his nap and he (laughs) loves you too. He can't stop smiling. Um, So I just want to say thank you. Um, Do you have any final comments or (laughs) regards for the um, podcast listeners today? Well,
1: uh, we are... I definitely feel very much humble to be in a position to to help. Um, It's tremendously joyful to help lymphedema patients. And I don't know whether there are surgeons uh, in the audience, but if there are surgeons in the audience, we highly, highly strongly encourage you to join us in helping lymphedema patients. So many surgeons are Or the younger surgeons may not view lymphedema surgery as a smart career choice because surgery in general are quite difficult and the reimbursement isn't that great (laughs) and frequently unreimbursed but well remember your calling why we became physician in the first place we want to make a difference we want to help and Lymphedema surgery is where we can really help. And uh, just speaking from experience, I, I think we really feel humbled and privileged to be in this position. And we, uh, we love our what we do and we, uh, the joy of helping is, it's really more than, makes it more than worthwhile.
0: Alright everybody, that concludes our three-part series of the interview with Dr. Wei Chen on lymphatic reconstruction. Many of you have reached out to me with questions specific to the clinic, insurance billing, as well as just the process. I'm going to reach out to Dr. Chen and see about a follow-up interview, but I would highly encourage you all to reach out individually to his office through the Cleveland Clinic's website to see about a consultation or just to speak with the billing department. I can't really give you much advice on that as I don't live in the state or have much insurance experience and everyone's experience will be different in that regard. So please go ahead and reach out to his office. That information is available to you by searching on the internet Stay tuned for that follow up interview if we're able to get it on the books and also stay tuned just looking for any articles or information that's coming out regarding the research that's being done by Dr. Chen and his team. Mother Teresa says loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about lymphatic reconstructive surgery with Dr. Wei Chen. Email me with your story if you would like to share Lymphedema podcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.